Well, hello everyone. Phil Giuliani here again, and this program is one in Messiah here on Messianic Lamb Network. I'm glad you could tune in today. And this is a program that connects passages from the Tanakh and the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, and we describe how everything prefigures Yeshua the Messiah. And if you've been with us in past programs, welcome back. If this is the first time you're tuning in, that's great. Uh, we're here Thursdays at four and then again, Mondays at four. And then um, at the end, I'm going to share some contact information so that you can see uh, if you want to see the video some other time, you can see it on my YouTube channel. And there's also a couple of webcasts and uh, a podcast. And I'd also, I always like to start by saying if, if those of you in the live, for those of you that live in the um, Cleveland area, we meet live Friday evenings, Friday evenings at 6.15 p.m. And we meet at uh, 709 Brook Park Road, which is in Brooklyn Heights. And that's at Calvary Chapel of Cleveland Church. And we're there with some praise and worship and a teaching and fellowship and so forth. And occasionally we even have a party, not really an own egg, but sort of like that. And uh, if you could ever pop in and join us, that would be great. So here we are again. And um, tonight we're actually going to do, this afternoon I should say, we're actually going to do a teaching around the birth of Messiah, the birth of Yeshua, with its um, with a lot of the background from the Tanakh, and then a passage or two from Luke's gospel. Luke, of course, has the only detailed account. Uh, as you know, Matthew and Luke are the only ones that have it. Um, Mark and John do not have a um, an account of the nativity, don't have an account of, um, oh, the genealogy, the annunciation from the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary, don't have an account of the um, nativity. So Luke has the most detailed account. And as you may recall, I mean, I'm sure you've all read Luke's gospel. Um, if you haven't, I don't know what to say, but um, it, it, I'm sure you remember at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he says that he has set out to do an orderly account mm -hmm. of all these things. And that, of course, um, is really shown in, in chapters one and two. There are many scholars that believe that Luke spent time uh, speaking with Mary, sort of interviewing her so to speak, getting background information, uh, maybe even from Zachariah and Elizabeth. I don't know if they were still around, but he he set out to write an orderly account. And you see through his gospels, very orderly. Then of course, he also wrote the book of Acts. And if you read Acts, it's a very orderly book. And in fact, I always like to add, um, that Luke wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. 
uh, even though Paul's my hero, Luke wrote more than Paul did if you add up the number of words and verses and so forth, because of course the gospel and the book of Acts is quite lengthy, but that's not here what we're, that's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> so we're going to start by going back and we're going to start by going back into Torah um, because as you've often heard me say, and I was just telling a friend of mine this morning, that understanding Torah leads you to understand Yeshua, leads you to understand how Messiah comes about, how everything about him is prophesied through Torah, through the Nevi'im, the prophets, and through the writings, through the whole Tanakh, in other words. And as he says in um, John chapter 4, I'm sorry, John chapter 5, verse 39, he says that all the scriptures testify of him. And so it follows that everything before him points to him. Everything after him points back to him because all the books are, all the writings are, everything there is about him. And so we can see through Torah, especially, all the things that prefigure Messiah. And when when I started to study Torah years ago now, it's been 25 years now or so, I, I after getting over the shock of not really understanding a lot of the stuff I was reading and having to really think about it, pray about it, meditate on it, and read commentaries on it. And of course, you should always do those things when you're reading scripture. You should always meditate on it. Um, I was telling a friend of mine this morning that the Bible is the only book where the author of the book is there with you. The author of the book is there beside you. In fact, he's in you as well. You can't say that about any other book. Uh, unless you know someone who's written a book and you're reading the book with them standing there and you can ask them questions as you read. You can read Tom Sawyer, but you can't ask Mark Twain anything about the character development or what does this mean? What does that mean? But in the scripture, the author, who of course is the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, is within you. And since he's the ultimate author, as Paul points out in 2 Timothy 3.16, he, he's more than happy to help you understand what's written there by the human author. And so as you read through Torah, you're struck by all the prefigurements of Messiah, all the types. And we're going to do um, a couple of those now that have to do with his birth. Uh, the the world, the general Christian world, celebrates, commemorates the nativity, as you all know, and we're not going to get into that, uh, December 25th. And we just did a series of shows um, on what we, you could call Advent shows, the preparation for the coming of Messiah, and how 
uh, the prophet Isaiah and the Psalms, but particularly Isaiah, has so much to say about how Messiah is going to come, what he's going to do, and how Gentiles are also going to be included in the kingdom, that it's good news for all people. He didn't say it's good news for some people. The angel doesn't tell the shepherds, well, for you guys, it's good news. But, you know, once you get past 100 miles of here, it's not that great. No, he it says it's good news for all people. And there's so many, um, so many Psalms that mention how the nations, and of course, you know, when the Bible mentions nations, it's talking about Gentiles. So when the Bible mentions nations will come to praise him and nations will come to him and nations will seek him. You know, in Isaiah, it says that people who aren't looking for him are going to find him. The people who don't know him are going to know him. And so all of this comes as a preparation for Messiah to be born. And Messiah, of course, has to be born. And he has to be born as the God-man. Or else we can't have the ultimate sacrifice, capital S, on the cross, which leads to salvation by his blood, capital B. If he's not born into the world, and if he's not born with a human nature and the divine nature, 100% of both, not some mixture, not some combination, he won't be able to suffer and die, won't be able to shed blood. And that fulfills all the prefigurements that are in Torah in terms of the ritual law ritualistic law the moral laws is a, another story we, you know, we'll talk about that some other time but the the ritual law would be in the sense of the blood sacrifices the worship you know the sacrifice was once for all there are no more sacrifices and interestingly the temple was destroyed as he predicted a short time after he was on the scene so we're going to start, we're going to try to do, as you know, I always have a PowerPoint. <laughs> Today, this afternoon, I actually have two PowerPoints, so you're going to have to kind of brace yourself for that. <laughs> there are two different PowerPoints that um, basically tell really two different stories, but they're not two different stories because they're all the same story. And so... The first one's called Ruler of Israel, and we're going to talk about, I'm going to make myself a little smaller here. We're going to talk about prophecies, and we're going to talk about the fulfillment. The, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, the Holy Bible, whatever you want to call Scripture in its entirety, is the only book of any religion that has prophecy in it. The other books of the other religions have no prophecy in them. The Bible is loaded with prophecy. In fact, some people have said that 25% of it is prophecy. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've, never, I've never done that study or tried to quantitate it. But needless to say, a large part 
of the Bible is prophecy. And even though it's written over, I don't know, 2,500 years by, I don't know offhand how many different human authors there were, it's internally consistent. The prophecies are internally consistent. And the prophecies are fulfilled in complete ways within the scripture itself at totally different periods of time. <clears throat> so when Isaiah can write 700, and 700 years or so before Yeshua is born, he can talk about the virgin shall be with child and call his name Emmanuel. 700 and some years before he's born, he can write about how light's going to shine into the world and that the people who walk in darkness will see the light. The people who live in gloom will see the light. He can write 700 and who knows, 30 some years before the cross. He can write the passages of Isaiah 52 and 53, which of course are about the suffering servant and about blood being shed and about our healing because of his wounds. And then uh, 750 years before, he could write about that gospel, good news, going into the world so that Gentiles come to it, come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, come to faith in the God of Israel and obtain salvation. And so we've talked a lot about Isaiah the last few weeks, but it's, it's really phenomenal that he writes all that stuff, writes all that material, these, you know, 66 chapters. Of course, when he wrote, there weren't chapters, but 66 chapters is, of course, more than any other prophet, um, unless you count David as a prophet and count all the Psalms, but not all the Psalms are prophetic. But anyway, that's another story. So we see fulfillment of all those things in, in a way that's internally consistent over a long period of time. And one of the basics that's really not emphasized much in the church, because of course, People in the church don't generally study the Tanakh because they just don't, I don't know. Some people are hostile about it, say, well, that was then, this is now, kind of an uh, approach which is ridiculous because the passage I quoted from Second Timothy, the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe out just the New Testament. He breathed out the Tanakh, the Old Testament as well. So, Many people don't know the, the, the prophecies, don't know the history, don't know the background, don't know the context, don't know how the plan unfolds. They just start in Matthew 1.1, Messiah Yeshua kind of just comes into the picture. And as I tell you all, the, I tell people all the time, if you don't understand Torah, if you don't understand law, you can't understand grace. And you can't understand what Messiah actually did. But the, the one promise, the one prophecy that is so powerful along those lines is the, the last prophecy to Abraham, 
and to Isaac and to Jacob. Of course, the three patriarchs all got the prophets, uh, the the um, promises at various times. Um, Abraham got them a lot. Jacob got them a lot. Isaac got them, but not as many times. But the last of the promises to Abraham was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you. All the nations, again, nations means Gentiles. And of course, at Abraham's time, <laughs> there were no Israelites either, but all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And of course, when Abraham got that promise, he was Abram. He was 75 years old. He was living in current day Iraq. <laughs> and he was told that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And as the scripture unfolds and we get to the new covenant, we see the fulfillment of that with Messiah being born. As we get into Acts and into the letters and even into Revelation, we see Gentiles coming into the kingdom, coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah. Really pretty amazing. So all that's the introduction. <laughs> we're already way into the show, but that's okay. So we're going to go back to Numbers 24. I love this. And you know Numbers 24, we're not, we don't have time to do the whole chapter or talk about all of the all of the figures in it in detail. But you know Balaam, Balaam, who is, a saint, well, he is a pagan priest who the king of the Amorites hires to curse the Israelites. And of course, he can't curse them. Um, he actually talks with God, actually talks with the true God, even though he's a pagan priest and, of course, a Gentile. The people are in the wilderness, actually quite close to the promised land. Balaam does talk with the true God, can't curse the people because he sees that they're blessed. He says that there's no iniquity in Jacob, which is also a messianic promise because Jacob had plenty of iniquity. All the people that were there below the hill he was standing on had plenty of iniquity. They were 2 million people full of iniquity, but the prophecy was that Jacob had no iniquity. So that's a messianic promise. Somehow the iniquity is going to be dealt with. And the camp was so beautiful that he couldn't curse them. He said he couldn't curse who God has blessed. So in, in chapter 24 and 17, this amazing messianic prophecy comes out of the mouth of this pagan priest. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall arise out of Israel. Pagan priest says this. A pagan priest says this. He's supposed to curse the Israelites, and he blesses them instead. Then not only does he bless them, but he gives this messianic prophecy. It's a him. It's a man who's coming. He's not coming right now. He's not coming immediately. He's going to come at a far off time. Far off for Balaam because it's going to be another, I don't know, 
1,500 to 2,000 years later. We, the timeline's not always easy to figure out. But at an appointed time, he's going to come. There's a time established where he's going to, when he's going to come. Everything God does is at appointed times. Messiah was born at the time he was born and not 50 years earlier, 100 years later. He was born at that particular time. And people can give you reasons for that, the Pax Romana, the roads, the, you know, but we don't know. You can say all that, but God in his sovereignty made the appointed time. The feast days are called the appointed times, the Moedim. Everything God does is at an appointed time. Things don't happen randomly. And that's one of the reasons, to not to dwell on Isaiah again, but God tells Isaiah, I don't do anything without telling you about it first. In other words, there's going to be prophecy. I'm Everything I do, you're going to know about ahead of time. And not just you, not just Isaiah, but he's talking about prophets in general. So I see him coming, but not right now. He's a long way off. A scepter is going to come from Judah, the tribe of Judah. Well, it's going to come from Jacob. He's going to come through Judah. How do we know that? Well, we have to go back to Genesis 49, because, of course, you need to be, you don't need to know every detail of every verse in Torah, but you know that in Genesis 49, when Jacob is about to die and he blesses all the all his boys, blesses all his sons, when he comes to Judah, we get two things. Number one, we get the fact that he's a lion who's going to tear his prey apart. So Messiah is the lion of Judah. He came as a lamb when he's coming back, and it's going to be shortly. He's going to be a lion. So we know that. And Jacob also says Judah is going to have the scepter, which is the sign of power, the sign of kingly power, royal power. This was partly fulfilled by David. But David is, of course, also in the line. The kingdom of David is a prefigurement of the kingdom of Yeshua. And Yeshua is David's son. One of the main titles of Messiah, of course, as you'd all know, is that he's the son of David. And he's called the son of David many times in the Gospels, even by ordinary uneducated people who probably can't quote a whole lot of scripture, but they know that Messiah is the son of David. And these prophecies of Messiah, of course, come over such a long period of time, many, many centuries. So this star comes from Jacob because Messiah is the star of the morning. He's the light of the morning. He's the bright morning star. And the scepter, of course, is the symbol of a ruler, a symbol of dominion, single symbol of kinship. He's Malach Olam. He's king of the universe. He's king of the earth. Olam can also mean infinity. He's king of infinity, rules infinity. 
And so all this comes from this pagan priest that says he's coming to do this, but it's not going to be right now. He's going to be king of the whole world. Everybody's going to be governed under this scepter, or they're going to be crushed. And based on all these promises, it's not going to be just for Israel. So here we are, 21st century. I'm sitting in northern Ohio, wherever wherever all of you are sitting. We're in the kingdom 20, 21 centuries later. The vast, vast majority of us Gentiles who have come to faith in the Jewish Messiah and are in the kingdom. Really pretty amazing. Prophesied by this guy before the people were even in the land. So if that's not enough, how about Micah chapter 5? How about Micah chapter 5? This is good too. This is quoted many times. This is one of the things that, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but people in the church actually know, <laughs> at least in most churches. But Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Micah is writing long after King David is dead and gone. Or as the Bible beautifully says, gathered to his people. David is gone. Like Peter says on Pentecost morning, the patriarch David died, and we have his tomb right here. And if you've been to Jerusalem and if you've been to Mount Zion and you've been to where the upper room was felt to be, you know, when Peter said, we have David's tomb right here, he could point to it because it's a stone's throw from there. So he said that to point out that David died, didn't rise. But Yeshua as king died, but he rose. So here in I don't know, probably about 500 BC or so. I don't know exactly the year Micah wrote this. But he says that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem, even though it's a little town. <coughs> of all the thousands of Judah, it's a little town. It's not so little now, but it was a little town. Um, hence the carol of the little town of Bethlehem. But from there is going to come the one to be ruler. And his going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Not only old, but everlasting, eternal. So out of Bethlehem is going to come someone, a ruler, who's going to rule in Israel, and his he's from everlasting. He's eternal. And of course, he's talking about Yeshua, who is the son of David. Bethlehem is the city of David. And he is from everlasting. This was Micah 500 years before. 
from eternity. Going forth, the, the Hebrew there actually means comes out of someone's mouth like a word. Because he's the logos, he's the eternal word. John chapter 1 talks about how in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John introduces this concept of, of logos, the word. And another good reason to study scripture, because scripture is the word of God. Yeshua is the word of God. He's the logos. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So out of Bethlehem, this little town in Judah, which is sounds at the time like it's pretty insignificant. I mean, David's out tending the sheep and, uh, you know, nothing much to call attention to Bethlehem at the time. From there is going to come someone who's eternal, who's from everlasting. So, and he's an ever, and he's the everlasting word. And now he's the ruler of spiritual Israel. <clears throat> Soon he'll be the leader of Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, as well. Paul points out in Romans 4, 16, Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who was father of us all. How is Abraham father of us all? Those of us that are Gentiles, that are not Jews, we are not biologically related to Abraham, but he becomes our spiritual father. He becomes our father in faith because from him comes Messiah. And through Messiah, we're adopted into the family, as Paul says in Romans 8 and in Galatians uh, 2, uh, all through Galatians. But anyway, so the promise is to the seed, not only the people, but all of us. So he's going to be ruler of spiritual Israel, not replacement theology. He's going to be ruler of spiritual Israel, and then eventually the land of Israel, Eretz Israel. And that's coming soon, too. And of course, he showed while he was here the signs and wonders, the healings and the casting out of demons and the power that he showed that he was Messiah because he quoted back from Isaiah all these things that were going to signify what Messiah was going to do while he was here. And you know the beautiful passage in Luke chapter 4 that takes place in the synagogue at Nazareth where he quotes from Isaiah. He reads Isaiah 61 and then points out to the people that were there that that applies to him. He gives a very simple drash, that Shabbat. It says what you just heard. Well, this, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. They weren't happy about that because they weren't expecting that. The reaction was, who do you think you are? We know you. We know your father and mother. <clears throat> what do you mean that passage is about you? We have to kill you now because you're a blasphemer. 
So he showed that he was ruler. Fulfilling Micah 5.2, he's actually born in Bethlehem, which, of course, Bethlehem means house of bread. So many things about Yeshua are about bread. He's born in a place called the house of bread. He says he's the bread of life. He says he's the bread come down from heaven. At the Seder, at the Passover Seder that was the Last Supper, he takes the bread and says, this is my body. It's given up for you. A lot of things about him are bread. He leaves us the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. He's identified with the bread. Many things about him are about bread. It says, your ancestors ate the manna in the desert and they died. But if you eat this bread, you have eternal life. So Micah's prophecy is fulfilled because Messiah is born in a place that's called the house of bread. Amazing. And you know, you've, you've probably heard statistically, if you take all these prophecies, the chances are billions to one that one person could fulfill all these prophecies. So Bethlehem, Bethlehem, of course, is the city of David. He's the son of David. And from everlasting, he comes into humanity in Bethlehem. Well, actually, he's conceived in Nazareth, but he's actually born in Bethlehem <coughs> to fulfill the prophecies, of course. And interestingly, Caesar Augustus, a pagan emperor, who at the time was the most powerful man in the world, is used by God to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Pretty amazing. And of course, he's, he's born there. So he's from everlasting, but now he comes into time and space. God's name is I am, or I am that I am, or I am who am, however, different ways it can be translated, because God is always in the present tense, because he's not in time. That's why in, in the Tanakh and then later in First Peter, it says, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. It's all the same. So Abraham was four days ago. The cross was two days ago. Yeshua coming back might be a few minutes from now. I hope it is. But in his, in his view, it's all the same. He sees us with everyone else. There's not long spans of time. <clears throat> so he comes into our space and time in order to be Messiah. Micah goes on. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. So after this baby's born, there's going to be a remnant of brethren that are going to come. A woman is going to give birth in Bethlehem. And this is going to be the Lion of Judah. This is going to be the son of David. And in fact, he was. Verse 4, and he shall stand and feed his flock. 
in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. He's going to stand and feed his flock. Flock is a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. All the boys were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Yeshua called himself the good shepherd because he takes care of his flock. It says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They don't listen to the voice of a stranger. Here, Micah points out, he shall stand and feed his flock. Now, interestingly, he's talking about Messiah being born in Bethlehem, and he's using the imagery of a shepherd, saying he's going to feed his flock. But he's going to do it in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name, Hashem. So he's got the power of God, the power of the name to stand and feed his flock. Protect his flock from enemy, take the flock to shepherd to pastures, take the flocks to water, and so forth. And he's going to be great to the ends of the earth. 500 years or so before he's even born, this is written. Pretty amazing. And people think the Old Testament's boring. This doesn't sound very boring to me. This sounds pretty awesome. He's going to feed his flock. He's the good shepherd. And he's going to have the strength and the majesty of Yahweh. You notice in that passage, Lord is all capitalized, which when you have an English Bible or Bible in another language that isn't Hebrew, in order to convey that this is talking about God's name, all the letters in the word Lord are capitalized. So this is not going to be an ordinary man who's going to do this. <clears throat> this is not going to be a shepherd like young David or even like Moses or even like the patriarchs. This is going to be someone who comes from everlasting to stand and feed the flock. This is the ends of the earth are going to see his salvation. All authority in heaven and earth. You know, just before he gives the great commission, Yeshua says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. That's why we say, he says, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Revelation tells us when he comes back, he's going to have that on his clothing, king of kings and lord of lords. So all of this, fulfills what Balaam wrote in Numbers 24, what Micah, and, and, and we're just doing the surface of this, tip of the iceberg. You can go through all the prophets and find similar things. <clears throat> and of course, Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee, and would have known the scripture backwards and forwards, as I like to say. In 11, chapter 11, 25, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this, of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel 
until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them I, when I take away their sins. When I take away their sins. So Paul says, you know, right now, the Gentiles are coming to faith. But it, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, we don't know when that's going to be. I hope it's today. But when the last Gentile comes to Yeshua, then all Israel will be saved. And what's that going to mean to Israel? The deliverer comes from Zion. He turns away ungodliness from Israel, from Jacob, and takes away their sins. You know, it reminds me, if you've been watching The Chosen, um, the great scene with Yeshua and Nicodemus, where Nicodemus thinks, you know, Messiah's coming to get rid of the Romans, get rid of the taxes, get rid of the government. And Yeshua says, no, no, no. He says, I, I came to deal with sin. That's the problem. And Nicodemus doesn't get it, as you know. And, you know, just the story of the, the movie, this series, of course, is quite embellished. But even if you just read John 3, Nicodemus has a very difficult time with this. And in the, in the, in the, I hate to call it a movie, I don't know what you call it, in the series, The Chosen, Yeshua does a great explanation saying, well, I've come to deal with sin because sin is the problem. Sin is always the problem. Your government's not the problem. Government can be a problem, but that's not an eternal problem. Your salvation doesn't depend on what government's in power in the place where you live. Sin is the problem. So in this prophecy, it says, I'm going to take away their sins. And all Israel will be saved. So Messiah, of course, is going to come from Jacob. He's going to come from the land. He's going to bring redemption. <clears throat> and the new covenant provides the method to take away sin. All the blood atonement that's in Torah is completely fulfilled in the blood atonement of Yeshua. And that's what these prophecies are pointing to. So this is really quite amazing. Oh, this is the address to the YouTube channel if you want to make a note of it or take a picture of it or whatever you do in your high-tech world. <laughs> um, you find a lot of teachings there and a lot of stuff there. And I forgot to mention that these are two websites, and that's the address to the podcast if you want to search for that. But... Um, that notwithstanding, we're going to go on to yet another PowerPoint <laughs> that has to do with the nativity. And let's see, I got about oh, 12 minutes, so we're going to have to probably do the highlights because after all this prophetic talk, and we didn't even get into all the Psalms that are Messianic, I it's really quite amazing. I keep meaning to sit down and compile all the 
Messianic Psalms and references to Messiah that are in the Psalms. Because David's not generally considered a prophet, but boy, he certainly is. So we know that Yeshua is Emmanuel. When Isaiah says the virgin shall conceive and bear his son and name him Emmanuel, well, the virgin did conceive and did bear a son, but she didn't name him Emmanuel. The point of this was that Messiah was going to dwell with us. He was going to be God with us. He was going to move into our neighborhood. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Logos becomes flesh and moves in next door, pitches his tent next door. Another fulfillment of Sukkot, the Feast of Sukkot. He comes in a shelter that looks like ours and lives in community with us in flesh and in time. Going back again to Torah, Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. 29, 45, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. I'm going to live with them. If you make a dwelling, I'm going to have a place to live. Well, the fulfillment of that are so many different. We didn't have time to even talk about that now. That'd be another good teaching to do. <clears throat> but we get to the point of not only Messiah Yeshua living physically with us and saying, wherever two or three of you are gathered, I'm going to be there. But the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, not only living with us, but living within us when we become believers. And so he dwells in a temple not made of stone, but dwells in us. You remember in um, Second Chronicles chapters 5 through 7, when Solomon dedicates the temple, he says, you know, I made a house for God to live in, paraphrasing. I made a house for God to live in. The heavens can't even contain him. How's he going to just live in this house? You know, the heavens can't contain him, but he lives in us and lives with us. And this is what all these prophecies were pointing to. Zechariah 2. Zechariah, great minor prophet, love Zechariah. Love 12.10 is my favorite. But Zechariah 2.10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Okay, here, Lord capitalized, it's God's name, Yahweh. <clears throat> so Zion should rejoice because Yahweh is coming to live in their midst. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. Many nations, 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 goyim. Many nations will be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people and I will dwell in their midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Oh, talk about messianic. So Zion rejoiced because I'm coming to live with you. God is saying this. I'm coming to live in your midst. And then nations are going to be joined to me that day. Nations, goyim, Gentiles are going to be joined. And they're going to become my people. 
They're going to become my people. Abraham's not their father. They're going to become my people. Then you're going to know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Lord of hosts, the Lord God of hosts. Adonai Elohim Sabaot. It's such a powerful title. It's used a handful of times in, in the Tanakh. But you're going to know that Messiah is God who's come to live with us because the nations are also going to come to him and they're also going to be his people. Micah 2, we already did. House of Bread, we already did. <laughs> so when we get to Luke's gospel, we find the appointed time. The appointed time had come. You know, it starts out in those days. It's the appointed time. It's the days that these are happening. In those days. And this emperor who... I'd be 99.9% .9 sure, didn't have a clue about prophetic books, patriarchs, what the temple was all about, nor did he care. He could have cared less that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, could have cared less. But he's used by God to set a plan in motion so that Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem so that Messiah could be born in the city of David because the prophecy had to be fulfilled. Really quite amazing. So in these poor circumstances of this town, in poor circumstances of probably a stable or a cave, The creator, Paul tells us in Colossians 1, everything was made by him and through him and for him. Everything that was made was made through him and nothing that he didn't make was made. I'm paraphrasing. So the creator comes into time in these poor circumstances. Son of David, without any comfort, without any obvious glory in the manger. Now, sure, there was the glory outside with the angels talking to the shepherds. And if you go to that, I just did a podcast about that. If you want to go listen to it back at the podcast address, Dr. Phil slash Gift of Grace. And this is the ancient of days. In a manger, in time, without comfort, without glory, but he's the Ancient of Days in Bethlehem. The angels, of course, made the announcement, now that Messiah is born, how, do, how, is the, how is Israel going to find out? How is he going to be manifested? <clears throat> Next week, we may talk about Magi because he's manifested to Gentiles. But here, the shepherds were the first ones to find out, not the priests. The angels didn't go to the religious leaders, didn't go to the temple, didn't go to that powerful religious center, didn't go show up in the high priest's office and said, Messiah's born, come on over. No, 
to these low-class people who were thought to be not trustworthy, shiftless, weren't allowed to testify in court, looked down on. They were the first ones to get the news. And as we pointed out, Moses and David were shepherds. They got the word while they were caring for sheep. Yeshua is the good shepherd. Now, Isaiah points out in chapter 53 that we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. We're like sheep. Sheep will just wander around doing whatever they want to do, and they're pretty stupid. They have no defenses. They can't run. I mean, they're a mess. And if a wolf shows up, it's dinner time. The shepherd has to protect him. That's one of his jobs. Yeshua is the good shepherd. So for the shepherds, this glory was all around them. And the angel says the good news is for all people. And it's a time of great joy. He didn't say it's for some people. It's just for you guys. It's just for the people living around here. Gentiles aren't going to know anything about this. Here we go. We're going to get rid of these these rulers. We're going to make the kingdom. We're going to get rid of the Romans. We're going to make the new kingdom. No, he says the news is for all people. And it's great joy because that day, not someday, sometime coming, that day, Messiah is born in the city of David. There's no question about it. All those centuries of prophecy has come down to this. He's born. He's in the city of David. He's born this day in the exact place where Micah prophesied. because he's condescended, as I like to say, my wife and I spent many years doing ministry in garbage dumps in Mexico City. I like to say that Yeshua, as second person of the Trinity, leaves the glories of heaven and comes to live in our garbage dump. We, in fact, live in a garbage dump of filth. I don't care what beautiful neighborhood you live in, it's a garbage dump because it's filth and it's disobedience and it's rebellion. He comes to live in in that garbage dump, spends all his earthly life in there, condescends to do this. And so there's hosts of angels that are praising because he's the Lord God of hosts. And they say glory to God at the time of the birth because God gets the highest glory because now this amazing event has taken place that's going to lead to salvation. That's going to lead to the possibility of salvation. It's not guaranteed salvation. There's not universalism. But you know you know that. We're not going to get into that. But the angels sing the glory to God in the highest because he gets the glory for bringing this plan of salvation finally to its physical part so that now it can begin in its in flesh it can begin in earnest and these angels praising proves that this is in fact the divine son of god this is in fact divinity 
Because in Hebrews 1, 6, we know, let all the angels of God worship him. Angels don't worship anybody else. If there was a good man being born, there wouldn't be angels singing. There wouldn't be angels celebrating the fact that Moses was born or that Abraham was born or that David was born. But here we have angels singing because this is God coming into the world. And these poor shepherds, there's no doubt in their mind that what the angel says is true. They go right away. They thank God for the experience they've had. They're the first ones to see the glory. And when they tell Mary what had happened, she's like overwhelmed. It says she just ponders all these things as we should be pondering all these things. Ooh, I know I'm going a little bit over time, but not too much. Well, anyway, thanks for joining us, and I'm glad you were here. And tune in um, Monday at 4 if you want to see this one again or go to the uh, YouTube channel. And I'll be back again next Thursday at 4. Have an awesome week.